Is observing the Sabbath on Sunday taking the mark of the beast? Today, friends, that's what we're going to be talking about. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Yeah, like I said in the introduction, uh, today we're going to be talking about that. There is a teaching amongst the Seventh-day Adventists that in the last times, in the last days, the Roman Catholic Church will uh, bring together a one-world religion led by the Antichrist, and uh, there will be a time at which Uh, The deciding factor between the sheep and the goats is whether or not you observe the Sabbath on Saturday versus observing it on Sunday. Uh, Of course, the Roman Catholic Church will say Sunday is the day. And, um, well, those who are the sheep, those who are truly following after Christ, will observe it on Saturday. Now, I had a, a... old friend. Hey, Chris. Uh, An old friend contacts me on Facebook. Somebody I haven't talked to in years. Uh, An old friend from junior high school, he contacts me and he asks me this. And yes, I know I've somewhat beaten this subject. You know, this is kind of a dead horse beating silly kind of subject. We've touched on this many times over the last couple years. But uh, I'd like to hit it one more time from this angle because the Seventh-day Adventists, they do put a different spin on it. Their arguments sound really good at first uh, until you get a little bit deeper and start looking at the scriptures that they use to support their arguments. Uh, Of course, and and I mentioned this in my series on Seventh-day Adventism, uh, they have their own version of the Bible, the Clear Word Bible. And, uh, you know, the Bible, the scriptures put a really serious, kind of terrifying warning on those who would add or take away from the scriptures. Well, the clear word Bible does just that. I hate to say it, but it adds a bunch of stuff that is simply not there in the Greek. I mean, sometimes like half of sentences, like not just a word here and a word there, but quite a bit of content is added and much is taken away. Uh, Many words are modified or changed to support various doctrines. It's kind of a mess, okay? Uh, But uh, whatever the case, there are many arguments that are used to support this idea that to worship on Sundays in the end times uh, would be taking the mark of the beast. So, um To all of you, my listeners, and also to Chris, I've done this this study. Uh, I hope it helps out. I hope it's a blessing. This is what Chris says. He says, take a look at this and let me know your thoughts. And then he goes on, this is the truth. And I think he's quoting at this point, um, perhaps some, you know, probably an amazing facts uh, magazine or something like that. But it says, this is the truth that needs to be preached by our elect. All God's people will face one last living challenge. Depending on what side you take will give you either God's seal upon your forehead or the mark of the beast. Uh, It will be the test on the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all they work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God." In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, for thy man, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay. So, yeah, in this study, I want to look at what the Seventh-day Adventists teach on the subject. And, Chris, I'm assuming uh, that's where this argument is coming from. I could be wrong, but uh, 
when I generally, when I see that uh, somebody will be teaching and equating the Sabbath with the Mark of the Beast, that's usually coming from the Seventh-day Adventist camp, although I have heard it from some of the Messianic crowd as well. Um, So I am making an assumption here, and I went ahead and uh, really jumped into what the Seventh-day Adventists are teaching. So I wanted to give you, uh, friends, the best arguments that they have in this area, at least from what I have seen, and then explain uh, why that doesn't quite add up. And then we're going to look at what the scriptures say, Old and New Testament. We want to get you know, the Bible needs to weigh in here because that's, that is where our authority comes from. So probably the most um, provocative and um, powerful, powerful argument that is coming from the Seventh-day Adventist movement uh, that this is the case is, uh, well, they'll say that the word sign, also mark, seal, uh, and also token are all words that are used interchangeably in the scriptures. Um, okay, makes sense so far? So when you have a scripture in Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 12 that says, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctifieth them. Or uh, Exodus chapter 31 verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth. So when you see scriptures like that, and there's there's a number of them in the Old Testament that basically says the the Sabbath is a sign between us and God, right? Uh, or, or rather, if you read it specifically, it's between the Jews and God, okay? But we'll put that on the shelf for the moment. Um, that would be a... Mark, okay, right? Because we're saying that mark, symbol, sign, and token, those words are all used interchangeably. So when God says this is a sign, you could also say it's a mark. Are you following me? Uh, So in other words, to follow God and to observe his Sabbath is to have his mark, is, is kind of where they're going with this argument. Conversely, to not follow God and his Saturday Sabbath and to follow man or the beast or the Catholic Church uh, and to uh, um, observe the Sabbath on Sunday would be then to be taking the anti-mark. Does that make sense? Or the mark of the beast. Uh, Right off of one uh, Seventh-day Adventist authoritative site, uh, Amazing Facts, okay? Have you ever gotten those magazines in the mail, friends? When I first got saved, I have no idea how I ended up getting these, but out of nowhere, I started getting them in the mail. And you get one, and it's kind of a, they're, they're really well done, very colorful, uh, have some very powerful arguments in them, and then they have some questions in the back. If you fill out the questions and then stuff it in a self-addressed envelope so they'll pay the postage and you send it back to a facility that actually, from what I understand, is right here uh, in my area, and you send it back, then they will send out another one or three or four or five, something like that, and then you fill those out and you send them back. But anyway, it's, it's actually a really cool way to learn about God's Word. The problem is that a lot of them... Um, no, not a lot. Some of the arguments and some of the teachings are off. Uh, but it, it, kind of a neat publication. Uh, anyway, from the website, it says this. God is saying in the texts above, and by that they're referring to those two scriptures I just read to you, like Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Uh, okay, so God is saying in the texts above, he gave us his Sabbath as a glorious sign of his power to create and his power to sanctify, as in convert and save, us. In the Bible, the words seal, sign, mark, and token are used interchangeably. God's sign, the Sabbath, represents his holy power to rule as creator and savior. Revelation chapter 7 verses 1 through 3 says, It'll be written upon the foreheads, as in minds, and they reference Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16, we'll come back to that later, of his people. It will signify that they are owned by him and have his character. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, confirms this by saying that when we enter into his rest, receive salvation, we should keep his seventh day Sabbath holy as a symbol or mark of salvation. I'm going to interrupt this uh, particular article and say, actually, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 10 doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we should keep his seventh day Sabbath holy as a symbol or mark of salvation. Rather, it just says, it, it talks about entering into eternal rest and compares this rest with the Sabbath and God resting on the seventh day. So there's a comparison there, but it doesn't say that we should keep the seventh day Sabbath holy as a symbol or mark of salvation. Okay, so that's an example of of the type of um, arguments that we're going to see. A lot of times there will be a scripture reference. And, you know, being a good Berean, you learn that when somebody gives you a scriptural reference, look it up. Because when you see those references, you think, oh, well, they've done their research. Not so fast. <laughs> when you look these up, you find that hey, wait a minute, you know, it doesn't say that. Well, I as I was reading through many different Seventh-day Adventist sites on this issue, I found that nine out of ten times when a scripture is referenced, when you go to that scripture and read it, it doesn't say anything to the, I mean, it'll it'll somewhat flirt with the idea that they're making, the, the point that they're making, but not even close. Not even close. And we'll give some examples of that as we go. Um, guys, by the way, the Seventh-day Adventists, they're great people. They're loving people. I've I've had a lot of interactions with them over the last, gosh, even the six, last six months. Great people. Very friendly. Uh, you can tell that they love the Lord, okay? They're very serious about their faith. Unfortunately, um, the, the movement that was started by Ellen G. White has some bad theology mixed in. Okay. And I'm not saying it's some kind of malicious intent to lead us off into a bad direction by any stretch, but it's, it's bad doctrine. It's bad theology. And we as followers of Christ, we need to put his word first and we need to compare what anybody, including me, friends, what anybody is saying with the scriptures, because you know what? I, Nobody is the authority like the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right? So um, when you hear a teaching coming from anywhere that is uh, different or puts up a red flag in your heart, whatever, and suddenly you're thinking, hmm, I, you know, I've never heard that before. I think I better check that out. Please, when you hear these types of teachings, check them out. Weigh it with the scriptures. Find out whether it's true or not. And when these arguments are presented with scriptural references, <laughs> amen. Look them up. Look them up and read them in context. Read a couple, uh, you know, what I, standard practice for me is read a couple chapters before that scripture and a couple chapters after that scripture. So you get the full context. You know exactly who is being talked to uh, you're, you're, you're finding out the backdrop of the situation, where in the world, when in the world, you know, everything. You want to know the full context of what is being talked about so that when you get to the scripture in question, you're able to look at it uh, soberly and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, that is exactly what the Bible is saying. Or no, that's not, ex that's not at all what the, that particular scripture is talking about. So anyway, uh, going on, uh, going back to that scripture, Exodus chapter 1, or I'm 31, verses uh, 17, in that vein where I was saying, read it in context, uh, this is a scripture that was given to the Hebrews, okay? Uh, and, and look what it says. I'm going to start in verse 16 because, you know, some people miss this. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. To observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. So point number one, uh, that's actually pointing towards the Jews. And when you look at all of the Mosaic law, and you know, 
so many different movements will key into various portions of the Mosaic Law and say, hey, we need to be doing this. Uh, keep in mind that the Mosaic Law was given to the Jews. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. And when you move forward into the New Testament, um, there are some pieces and portions of the Mosaic Law that apply to everybody. Okay, let's, I mean, come on. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. These types of things. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and all your strength. These types of things. Okay, but um, there's other parts of the Mosaic Law, like the sacrificial system. Uh, that was done away with, with the sacrifice of Christ, right? What about uh, having different types of cloth woven together in a garment? Um, that's something we don't have to worry about now. Uh, what about eating according to uh, the Mosaic law? We don't have to worry about that now. What about getting circumcised? Boy, Paul is very clear throughout the New Testament. We don't have to get circumcised. Most of us guys are, okay? Uh, but we don't have to be, all right? There's so many things that are written about in the Old Testament that were for the Jews that are not for the Gentiles now. We'll get into a little bit more of that as we go on. Another thing to remember here is that, um, you know, uh, this argument that sign, seal, mark, token, they're all words in interchangeable, and that the Sabbath was a sign of uh, uh, us following God, right? It is that sign. And then conversely, to not observe the Sabbath is to uh, not have God's mark on you, but rather to have the mark of Satan uh, or the beast, if you will. Okay, that doesn't necessarily follow. Why do I say that? Well, when you look at that Hebrew word, oth, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, but, uh, you know, it's spelled O-T-H in English, oth, um, it's saying uh, literally or figuratively, as a flag, beacon, monument, almond, prodigy, evidence, mark, miracle, sign, token. Okay, so that fits until you realize that circumcision in Genesis chapter 17, 11 is also called a sign between us and God. Uh, and by us, I should say, uh, technically, Genesis, again, we're talking about the Hebrews here, right? Uh, this would be pre-Jew. This is the Hebrews. Genesis 17, 11, And you shall be circum circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign, oth, of the covenant between me and you. So, already this argument from the Seventh-day Adventist that the sign is the Sabbath, and to not observe the Sabbath is now to have a sign or mark of the beast, it's not adding up because now we have another sign, uh, which would be circumcision, right? Um, something else to consider, Cain, he had a mark. It was something that you could see. And as you look at the instances where God marks people, it's always something that you can actually see. Cain had a mark. Again, this was that word off, guys. Uh, and it was something that as he walked the land, people would see him and say, ah, that is Cain and he has been marked and we're going to leave him alone. Okay. He's already kind of cursed. Let's, let's back off and leave him be, right? Okay. Oh, and there's also another time in, in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Ezekiel, where everybody receives a mark of God. Again, it's something that can be seen, Right. Um, in the New Testament, when you look at that word mark in specifically the book of Revelation, uh, this mark of the beast, it is sharagma. <laughs> Again, I probably butchered the pronunciation of that sharagma. And it's defined uh, as a scratch or etching, a stamp as a badge of servitude or sculptured figure statue graven mark. Okay, and that's from Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Okay, what about Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words? Sharagma denotes a stamp or impress uh, a mark. Okay, these are things that you can see. Now, traditionally, evangelicalism will, um, I shouldn't say traditionally, over the last, like, what, 30, 40 years, people are starting to look towards these RFID uh, uh, uh 
implantable chips. And me being part of the uh, security industry and access control, I have leaned in that direction for a long time because, hey, it's something that you can implant. You cannot buy or sell without it. Uh, You know, if that is, of course, if they uh, use this mark as a means of uh, commerce where you no longer have to carry a credit card, you just kind of like you got your new cards right now that have the chip in them and you put them inside the machine and then you stand there for like two hours waiting for the thing to read and write to the card, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, some kind of an RFID chip or technology thereabouts, right. That has some kind of GPS involved and you can then, uh, buy and sell with it. Uh, that's what people have been going towards for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. It's It's been kind of the new thing. But when you look at this Sharagma, it does kind of suggest it's something that's actually scratched or etched into your skin, like a, some kind of a tattoo or something. Whatever the case, um, it's something that can be seen. Amen? I mean, that's what we see from the scripture. But that's not all. Okay, so going back to that uh, Seventh-day Adventist website and the article I was reading, since the symbol or mark of God's authority and powers is Holy Sabbath Day, it seems likely that the symbol or mark of God's challenger, the beast, might also involve a holy day. Let's see if it does. All right, and so then the article goes in and it looks at a quote from a book uh, called A Doctrinal Catechism. Okay, and it, it's it's basically an authoritative book from the Catholic Church where the Catholic Church claims that they and they alone changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. All right, and so in other words, because again, going back to this argument, because mark and sign are used interchangeably in the Scripture, when God says the Sabbath is a sign. Therefore, the Sabbath is a mark. And since if you're observing the Sabbath on Saturday, you have the mark of God, then to observe the Sabbath on a Sunday, then therefore you do not have the mark of God. You must have the mark of the beast. And they say, let's see if this follows through with um, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and the Catholic Church does have a quote where they claim that they changed the Saturday Sabbath to Sunday. All right, but the Catholic Church, man, I don't want to defend those guys. The Roman Catholic Church friends, and and hey, Chris, check this out. I have a lot of teachings on Roman Catholicism. Uh, Their theology is a train wreck. Uh, I believe that there probably is a few Catholics within the movement that are saved, but for the most part, if you're a Roman Catholic and you believe as you're taught in the the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, then you're trusting in your own works. And not in Christ alone for your salvation. Therefore, you're not saved. They are not saved. The The Roman Catholic Church is a train wreck of bad theology. An absolute train wreck. So I'm not defending them. Okay? Having said that, the Catholic Church has a lot of very bold claims. Okay, this is the, the, the church that claims that they and they alone put together the Bible. Okay, so they're like, you know, and I've had Catholics throw this at me online many times. We are the ones that put together the scriptures. We are the authority. We're the ones that gave you the Bible. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Uh, They're the ones that say that they have popes that go all the way back to Peter, the first pope. pope. Okay, wrong. They claim that they hold the king's... The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Wrong. They claim that the Pope is the vicar of Christ. Vicar meaning uh, um, uh, Christ on earth, if you will. He is the replacement of Christ. He is Christ here. You could even make the, the argument that it's uh, has to do with the Antichrist because the Antichrist means instead of Christ. But whatever the case, I, sorry, that was a total rabbit trail. They make a lot of bold claims and we cannot base our theology on what the enemy says, right? Does that make sense? I mean, uh, for example, I've heard Christians that will say that they have heard mediums channel uh, aliens or other spirits or demons or whatever, and these spirits will give them theology, 
And I've heard Christians say, see, these demons understand this, and they'll actually incorporate that into their Christian theology, which doesn't make any sense. Okay, let's not get our theology from what the enemy says. Let's get it from what God's Holy Spirit, the, you know, the scriptures. Let's get it from the Bible. Let's, let's see what it actually says. And so the question is, does the Bible call Sunday worship taking the mark of the beast? Does it have any explicit strict scriptures anywhere that actually link Sunday worship to taking the mark of the beast? No, there really isn't. Uh, I mean, what you have to do is you need to string together many unrelated scriptures, add a dash of Jesus, or, you know, taking your own ideas and cramming them into the scripture in any way you can by hook or crook. And that's where you can come up with some kind of a, a doctrine from the Bible. But nowhere does it actually say explicitly uh, that observing the Sabbath on Sunday is the same as taking the mark of the beast. Or that in the end times, the mark of the beast will manifest in some way that has to do with the Sabbath. There's nothing about that. Okay? But the Old Testament does make some specific claims or warnings about the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, on this website... And many more. I, I peruse so many different websites that were from Seventh Day Adventists. Uh, they use many good Old Testament scriptures about Sabbath keeping uh, and making sure that um, the Jews were to keep the Sabbath. And that's kind of the key here: is that this was something that was uh, aimed at the Jews. Okay. Um, and like I mentioned before, there's many laws in the Old Testament. Mosaic laws that were aimed at the Jews that aren't necessarily for us Gentile believers nowadays. So what we need to see is something from the New Testament, and and not just something, but we need some clear, really clear scriptures that link uh, the Sabbath with the mark of the beast. Right? We need some clear warnings, guys. Keep in mind that this we're talking about eternal damnation here. We're talking about spending hell, I'm sorry, spending eternity in hell for doing something wrong, okay? And we would expect God to be very clear about that, right? I mean, do we really think that God would require us to go through the entire Bible and string together a whole bunch of unrelated scriptures written to uh, many different people groups over thousands of years, and try to string them together in a way that even though they're very vague, they're not talking about the mark of the beast, somehow when you put them all together, somehow they almost sound like they are, and then say that everybody's going to go to hell if they don't understand this, and choose wisely, right? Uh, So anyway, more on that. We'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, another argument that's made, the mark on your head and hands is symbolic of your mind and your work. Wait, what? I mean, why is that even important? Well, okay, think about this. In the book of Revelation, this mark of the beast, it's going to be on your right hand or your forehead, okay? But the Bible is very specific that it's going to be in your right hand or in your forehead, okay? It's something that is physical, But in order for this to be made into a Sabbath day issue, we have to now make the head and the hand symbolic of something else. Okay, so they argue uh, that the mark on your head and hands is symbolic of your mind and your work. So they write this, the forehead represents the mind, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16. A person will be marked in the forehead by a decision to keep Sunday as a holy day. The hand is a symbol of work, Ecclesiastes 9.10. A person will be marked in the hand by working on God's holy Sabbath or by going along with Sunday laws for practical reasons, job, family, etc. The sign or mark for either God or the beast will be invisible to people. You will, in essence, mark yourself by accepting either God's sign or mark, the Sabbath, or the beast's mark, Sunday. Though invisible to men, God will know who has which mark. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 
Okay, so first of all, we already established that the the mark, that word mark in the New Testament is actually talking about something you can physically see. Okay, it's actually a real physical mark etched or stamped on the right hand or the forehead, right? So already that doesn't fit. Secondly, uh, the Old Testament has multiple signs between God and his people. Sabbath is just one of those signs. To say that to not observe the Sabbath must mean that you have the mark of the beast, it doesn't follow. Thirdly, remember what I talked about where uh, a lot of times where somebody makes an argument and then throws a scripture up? Uh, Always look that scripture up. Well, let's do that. Uh, They said that the forehead represents the mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Let me read this verse to you and you tell me, does this verse say that the forehead represents or is symbolic of the mind? It says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. First of all, did you even see the word forehead in that scripture? No, you didn't. You did say, see uh, that God would write his laws in our minds. But the argument here is that the forehead represents the mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Did that verse support that argument? Wow, not at all. I mean, that, that felt a little deceitful to me, didn't it? I mean, that was a sleight of hand right there. Um, there's nothing there about the forehead representing the mind. I mean nothing. The mind is mentioned, but I mean, that's about as far as you can go with that. What about the second scripture they gave? The hand is symbolic of your work. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. All right, so we do see uh, work being talked about in this passage, and we see that in this passage, work is done with your hand. But do we see in this passage any indication at all that we should now accept the argument that the hand is symbolic of your work? I mean, obviously, you have to work with your hands, right? I mean, there's some of us out there that work with our mouth by gabbing, right? (laughs) As I'm doing right now. But I mean, yeah, we all do work with our hands. But to take a literal passage in the book of Revelation that says you will be marked on your hand, okay, and to say suddenly that the hand is symbolic of work and more specifically, uh, the mark is whether you're working or not working on a Saturday is kind of a stretch, guys, don't you think? I mean, a long stretch. So the whole foundation of the argument caves in when you realize that both the foundational scriptures for this argument, that the hand and head, I'm the forehead and the hand represent your mind and your works, uh, the scriptures that they use don't even follow. And nowhere in the scriptures do we find anything that would give you a better argument to support what they're saying here? It, it's just not there. The whole thing just falls apart. Uh, another argument. Uh, Isaiah chapter 58 gives a message slash warning to those in the last days about the Sabbath and not keeping it. Now, that was part of the article. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to sum up the idea that they're saying that in Isaiah chapter 58, there is a, more, a warning slash, slash message to those in the last days about Sabbath keeping and not keeping the Sabbath. The scripture that they cite is Isaiah chapter 58, verse, verse 13. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable And shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. All right. So, I mean, yeah, that if you say that that has to do with the end times and that in the end days, uh, that's going to be a big concern. Well, that, that sounds somewhat convincing. 
But when you read it, guys, in context, again, like I said, read a few chapters before, read some chapters behind, get the context. What's going on here? Well, in chapters 56 through 59, God is giving correction and warning to who? Israel and Judah for their sins. This is actually talking about during those days. Some people will try to pin this on some kind of future prophetic fulfillment, but when you read it, it's not there. I mean, it could be, but explicitly it's it's just not there. This is a warning to the Israelites. And as you read further in that Isaiah chapter 58, uh, you know, a little bit past verse 13, um, Isaiah starts addressing the fact that they're uh, sinning by interracial uh, marriage, okay? The Jews are marrying other people who are not Jews, okay? I mean, if this was a warning about the end times, why aren't we talking about that too? Because it's not. We're talking about, strictly, it is a warning to Israel and Judah for their specific sins at that time. So that doesn't work either. That's not really a good argument for this. I've also seen this argument. Now, guys, this one is not as well used, but I've heard it enough times. It's not usually used on websites and, you know, you know, powerhouse argument for Seventh-day Adventism and observing the Sabbath. But I've heard so many people in person use it on me that I just want to include it here. Uh, Sunday was a name given by the heathen to the first uh, to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. Uh, that sounds good, right? It's like, oh gosh, why would we worship God on Sunday, <laughs> right? Now, that argument completely falls apart when you realize that Saturday, okay, if you're going to play those games with those words, every day of the week has to do with some kind of God, does it not? Saturday is Saturn day, which Saturn, when you go back and you really do some studying, it, it, a lot of times, Saturn is associated with Satan. <laughs> okay, so don't use that argument. If you know, if nothing else, don't use that argument to say we should be worship, worshiping on Saturday because it, it, it just doesn't work. Okay, now, uh, what about the Bible? Because really, isn't that what really counts here? What does the Bible say about this? Does the New Testament explicitly address the Sabbath? Do the apostles command that we should be observing the Sabbath? Um, well, before we jump into the scriptures, just remember the Clear Word Bible is not a good Bible to be using. So if you are a Seventh-day Adventist or if you are being enticed to join them and you're using a Clear Word Bible, please set that aside for a minute because that is a corrupt Bible. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to say it that way, but I got to be, I got to tell the truth. It adds so much to the scriptures that are simply not there, okay? Adding to God's word is a very serious sin. It also takes away from the scriptures and it modifies the scriptures. It, it reminds me of Satan in the garden. Right away, he starts off with, yea, hath God said, as in, did God really say that? And then he starts adding to the scriptures and he starts taking away from the scriptures, as in what God said. He starts adding and taking away from what God told Eve. So um, another thing to consider, uh, Galatians, the book of Galatians. Are you guys familiar with it? I just did a long study. Uh, if you have not checked that out, please check that out. Uh, I mean, because, yeah, this study is kind of beating a dead horse at this point. Uh, the book of Galatians, I did a six-part study, one part that was, I mean, each part's about an hour long, and each part is addressing one chapter of Galatians. We read verse by verse through the entire book of Galatians in that study, and then explain everything, okay? So it is Galatians explained. Well, Paul, the writer, author of the book of Galatians, he visits Galatia on two different occasions gives them the gospel. Uh, the Galatians accept the gospel and are saved. They're trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. Then these Judaizers, they show up and they start preaching another gospel. This other gospel that Paul gets so bent out of shape when he finds out about it, 
because they're teaching a gospel that you must observe the Mosaic law in order to be saved, right? Which is, you know, within the ballpark, somewhat similar to if you worship on Sunday in the last days, you will not be saved. You will be cursed. You will be taking the mark of the beast, which equates to eternal damnation or results in, okay? Paul gets so bent out of shape that to our knowledge, that that's the first and only epistle he wrote with his own hand, okay? He writes this epistle to the Galatians. He starts off with, in verse 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have received, let him be accursed. Big, big deal. These Judaizers were teaching that you must observe all the feasts. You must uh, uh, be circumcised, right? There's that sign again. You must be circumcised to be saved. You must observe the Sabbath. You must follow the Mosaic uh, dietary guidelines, these types of things. And Paul spends the entire book of Galatians refuting that idea. In fact, at the end of the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, towards the end, we see, uh, verse starting in verse 18, Paul gives this whole list of damnable sins. Okay? Guys, this is the definitive book on legalism. Galatians is. That's the book that hits this idea of uh, what one must do to be saved versus what some Judaizers say you must do to be saved. Legalism was a very big problem for the early church, and rightfully so. That makes sense because we passed from this age or this time of, of the Mosaic Law into a time of Christ fulfilled all of the law. He took care of all the sacrifices. He fulfilled all of it. And by trusting in him, we receive salvation as a gift. All right? And Paul spends this entire book addressing this issue. Okay? And he ends it with this list of sins that are very serious. And nowhere in there does he mention the Sabbath. I, you know, again, this is an argument from silence, but the silence is screaming. It says, but if ye be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do these things, do such things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Paul hits it hard with all these serious sins. He doesn't even mention the Sabbath. Uh, one thing I should really add, nowhere in the New Testament is keeping the Sabbath uh, mentioned or, or rather recommended for Gentile believers or for Jewish believers at that point either. It's not even mentioned. Guys, we're talking about this is something that makes a difference between heaven and hell for those in the last days. It's not even mentioned. One might argue, yeah, but it's, it's mentioned so many times in the Old Testament. It's just a given that the New Testament would carry that through. Uh, that sounds very good. And actually for years, when I was part of the hyper-charismatic movement, I believed exactly that. It was like, well, who cares if it's not mentioned in the New Testament? It's mentioned so much in the Old Testament, you got to smack your forehead at this point. Put your hand up beside your head and pull back and slap because, duh, of course we're supposed to observe the Sabbath. But then you start reading all these situations where Paul and some of the other apostles have some really serious confrontations with the Judaizers and, and just legalizers, those in the New Testament that want to subject 
these new Gentile believers to the Mosaic law and all that is in that is therein. And the Sabbath is brought up many times. And nowhere are we told that that is something we should do to observe the Sabbath. Uh, but rather, there is stressed over and over and over again that we are now under this time of grace. Yes, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder, don't all the nine other commandments, but the Sabbath doesn't seem to be an issue. But rather, we see that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I know this is actually uh, talked about on some of these Seventh-day Adventist websites, and they they um, really try to turn the scripture on its head. But in Mark chapter, verse, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, it came to pass that when he, this is Jesus, went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Now, stop right there. This would be a really good time for Christ to say, Hey, I, I did sin, or whatever. I, I just messed up. Me and my apostles, we are plucking corn on the Sabbath. Oops, we shouldn't have done that. We need to repent. Okay, he didn't say that at all. He said unto them, Have ye never read that David did what David did when he had need and was unhungered? <laughs> I love that word, unhungered. He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abather, the high priest, and did eat the showbread which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them that were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Um, okay, so if this is a very grave sin, then we would have to say that Christ did sin in his life. Right? Right, guys? I mean, you can ignore all the rest of it and just look at that one issue. The Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles were working on the Sabbath. And thank you, Pharisees. They were quick to catch that and, and, and rebuke him for that. If that is the case, if Jesus profaned the Sabbath, then he is not uh, sinless. Am I right? At that point... Uh, you know, we're, we are, are taught uh, in the scriptures that Christ was the perfect sinless sacrifice. That entire sacrifice means nothing if Christ sinned. And we're not seeing that here in Mark. What about Acts chapter 15? There's another uh, particular passage that I've taught about many times in the past. Uh, Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And uh, at that time, Jerusalem being ground zero for the Judaizers and legalism, okay, there was a huge conflict going down between the Judaizers and the apostles. The Judaizers, they were saying, uh, and please, friends, read Acts chapter 15 and find out whether or not what I'm saying is, is true or not. Please read the whole chapter. Just read it. Um, and, you know, I don't have time to go through it. I've done it so many times in past teachings. But they go up to Jerusalem. There's this big conflict over, you know, well, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must follow the Mosaic law in its entirety to be saved. You must observe the feasts. You must observe the Sabbath. And the apostles, they come together and they have a, a, a big council. All the big boys are in the room at the same time, and they hash this out. And what do they conclude? Concerning the Gentiles, okay, concerning us, right? These Gentile believers, they're told to avoid meat with blood in it, to avoid meat that's been strangled. These are two things that are highly offensive to Jews. And for the gospel's sake, let's avoid it. They're told to... Avoid fornication. Hey, that's definitely something worth avoiding, right? Amen. Very sinful. But nothing 
about the Mosaic Law, nothing about the feasts, nothing about the Sabbath. Guys, again, argument from silence, but the silence is deafening. I mean, to the extent that you would have to say James, who, who finally read the verdict during this council, would have been just utterly missing it in God's eyes. I mean, just bombing it. We're talking about a situation that in the last days you will go to hell if you miss this teaching and James didn't even bring it up? He didn't even mention it in passing? I'm sorry, guys, but I mean, that is a very powerful argument that that, that observing the Sabbath uh, is not high on the list of things to be concerned about. Yes, we should observe the Sabbath, but whether you do it on Saturday or whether you do it on Sunday or whether you do it on any other day of the week, for that matter, is not an issue. In fact, Paul says it this way in the book of Romans. Uh, This would be Romans Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. Okay? We're talking about feasts and Sabbaths here, guys. I mean, plain as day. Then he goes on, he that, and we're going to change gears again, still talking about legalism here. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he he that eateth not, to the Lord he, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Again, now we're talking about Um, eating according to the Mosaic dietary guidelines. Okay? Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Who is he writing to? He's writing to Gentiles, guys. He's writing to the Gentiles and he's saying, don't let them judge you, uh, them being the Judaizers, don't let them judge you in meat or in drink or in holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Okay, so we're seeing throughout the New Testament, there is no mention of Sabbath keeping. We're not told we need to. We're not told we have to. We're not told that uh, in the last days, the Sabbath is going to be a big issue. We're not ever told explicitly that the Sabbath has anything to do with the mark of the beast. Rather, we're told that the mark of the beast is an etching of some, it's some kind of a actual physical mark that a person can see. Okay. But let's, let's just grant this for a minute, okay? Let's just say um, that uh, meeting, coming together as a body of believers, okay, on Sunday to worship God uh, and perhaps uh, learn a message, you know, get a message of some kind and receive tithes, gather tithes, is taking the mark of the beast, Okay? Let's just assume that that really is the case. Um, and that actual, the, the Saturday Sabbath is the day that you meet, worship God, gather tithes, and learn about God. Where in the Old Testament, okay, because that's where we're getting all the scriptures about the Sabbath, where in the Old Testament does it link together coming to worship, learn, and tithe to the Sabbath? I, wait, I might have just lost a few of you. See, we're we're being led to believe by uh, Ellen G. White that to meet on a Sunday, okay, fellowship of believers on Sunday, and to hear a message and to worship God and to tithe is taking the mark of the beast. Where in the Old Testament do we see uh, um, a link between worshiping, learning, and tithing and Saturday Sabbath? It's, it's just not there. It's not there. It has everything to do with not working. Okay? So that argument doesn't work either. Uh, you know, 
let's suppose that a Christian still goes to church on Sunday, but doesn't do any work on Saturday, because that's what the Sabbath is about. It's about not doing any work. So let's say that a Christian does no work on Saturday, but still meets and goes to church on a Sunday. Well, according to Ellen G. White, uh, the founder of Seventh-day Adventism, that's taking the mark of the beast. Yet nowhere in the Old Testament do we see any link uh, with the Sabbath and coming together to tithe, learn, and worship. Uh, Where in the scriptures do we read that to worship, learn God's word, and tithe on any day but Saturday is called a sin, right? Let's think on this for a second. I mean, this this is, according to Ellen G. White, a heaven and hell issue. Where do we see anywhere in the Bible, old or new, that to come together as a body of believers on any day other than Saturday to worship God, learn his word, gather some tithe money for for people that are less privileged or, uh, you know, for the temple or whatever, okay, is, is called a sin. Again, it's simply not there. Now, conversely, and I, I've got into this in other teachings, so I don't want to read down this list. <laughs> I'm looking at a list of uh, all the times in the New Testament where the first day of the week, Sunday, is mentioned. And when you look at the first day of the week, after Christ rose from the dead, on the first day of the week, uh, you see this new thing that begins. This is, guys, this is before the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church did not have an influence on the scriptures. They didn't change what the scriptures said. The early church in the book of Acts, um, throughout the New Testament, would get together on the first day of the week, They would read God's word together. They would study his word together. They would have uh, uh, encouraging messages for each other. They would worship God and they would collect tithes. What day of the week would they do that on? They would do that on the first day of the week, Sunday. Okay. Again, I mean, uh, this is a situation here. If this is something that's going to be heaven and hell, deciding factor, sheep from the goats, in the last days, why did we see the early church always meeting on Sundays? Just asking. That's a, that's a really big question. It's something to dwell on for a minute because we don't see them. Again, we don't see anywhere where they're making a big deal about, hey guys, make sure you remember to keep the Sabbath on Saturday and whatever you do, Kind of like in Gremlins, don't feed them past midnight. Whatever you do, do not get together on a Sunday and worship God, learn his word, and collect tithes. That is a sin, and it offends God, and he's a loving God, but it's still sinful. But in the last days, it will be a deciding factor of whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Okay? See what I'm saying? Why would God allow his early church to deceive us in that way? into thinking Sunday worship is okay. Why would he even allow that to happen? Okay, Taking the mark of the beast is something that you cannot recover from. If you, if you do this, you will burn in hell for eternity. Amen? I mean, we all agree with that, right? It's, it's a horrific thing. And it makes sense that this would be the most important issue in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We would expect that the Holy Spirit would make this I mean, so abundantly, incredibly smack yourself upside the the head explicitly clear. Like, you have to be dumber than a box of rocks and blind as a bat to miss the teaching. You see what I'm saying? If it was the Sabbath day, it would be talked about in very clear, concise, obvious, seriously, duh. I mean, you're reading it and it's right in your face kind of language. You miss this, and you will be taking the mark of the beast, and you will be going to hell for eternal damnation. We see none of that in the New Testament. That teaching is not made clear. There's nowhere where it's even touched on. Okay, There is teachings about the Sabbath in the Old Testament, but it's, again, pertaining to the Jews, A. B. Has nothing to do with coming together, worshiping God, 
and gathering tithes and learning God's word. Okay, they did that on other days of the week other than Saturday. Okay, they did that on any day of the week they wanted to. In fact, there's instances in the Old Testament where people group, uh, people came together and learned about God's word on the first day of the week. Yeah, think on that one for a second. Um, and, and it's a good thing. Another question, why didn't the apostles teach about this? So, you know, we have the entire New Testament. The apostles taught on so many important things. I mean, we're, we're told in the scriptures, okay, in, in many different places, that God's word is everything we need. God has given us the whole counsel. Look, okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Get this. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Complete, guys. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Uh, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The scriptures claim that we are getting the whole counsel of God. There's so many other scriptures that give us this same idea. The Bible gives us everything we need in life to live godly lives. But yet, we're being led to believe by Ellen G. White that the Bible missed something. That the Bible didn't clearly tell us that in the last times, there would be a dividing of the sheep and goats based on whether or not you worship on Sunday or worship on Saturday. You have to string together a bunch of unrelated scriptures, uh, play word games, and say that because the Sabbath is referred to as a sign in the Old Testament, and because sometimes the word sign and mark are used interchangeably, then that means in the New Testament, keep in mind, we're talking about the difference between Hebrew and Greek here too, <laughs> that in the New Testament, the word Mark in the book of Revelation is also referring to the Sabbath. Only now it's the anti-Sabbath. <laughs> Sorry, I, I always chuckle when I say that because I know it sounds funny, but you're taking, you, you're taking the mark because, you're being marked because you're worshiping on the wrong Sabbath. You're observing the wrong Sabbath, the anti-Sabbath. So um, at this point, we're left with the idea, uh, you know, Ellen G. White leaves us with the idea that somehow we're supposed to believe that God expects his followers to just figure out this obscure teaching in the last days on their own, okay? And like I said, I mean, look, look at what's going on here. You can't find it anywhere explicitly in the New Testament, but God expects his followers to just figure it out. And find this obscure teaching by stringing together a bunch of very vague scriptures that don't really say what uh, they clearly say, but they actually say something else. And when you string them all together, they say that you must observe the Sabbath on Saturday. And if you don't, you're going to hell. And and so what you know what kind of God would send His own followers to eternal torment for not following a teaching? that he failed to make clear to them in his scriptures. He gives us this huge book full of teachings, tells us he's given us the complete and full counsel of, of his will, okay, and how we're supposed to live. And yet, he misses the most important heaven and hell issue for our end times. And people are going to, experience eternal forever. Think on that. Think of the worst, you know, like the time you had the worst pain in your life. Maybe it was an abscessed tooth that just, I mean, drove you to your knees. Happened to me once. Uh, migraines that utterly drive you to your knees. Happened to me all the time. Uh, you know, think of the worst allergy attack you've ever had, the worst pain you've ever experienced. And it only lasted what? you know, a few hours, a few days, oh, a couple weeks. Some of you out there maybe experienced some serious pain that lasted months. Now, 
Think on that pain and then think that hell is far, far, far worse than that pain could even come close to. And it goes on for eternity. Eternity. And now consider that God would actually send uh, millions of people, millions of his followers to eternal torment with the worst pain, the worst suffering you could ever imagine that lasts forever on something like this that you can't even find in the scriptures. You can't find it anywhere explicitly talked about. Now, some of you have probably been crying foul and throwing things at your iPod or whatever (laughs) because technically, Seventh-day Adventists will deny the eternality of hell. In fact, uh, it's more of very similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses in the sense that they believe in annihilation um, and that we just kind of get burnt up and, and that's the end of it. Unfortunately, I don't have time to get into that today. That's a whole nother teaching. It is a teaching that I've already given. You know, um, I do have a series of podcasts on hell. They are a lighthearted, whimsical, fun study as we skip through the topic of hell with smiles on our faces and having a dandy old time. But um, <laughs> actually, yeah, it's of course, nobody likes to talk about that subject, but we do uh, I, I have gotten into that in depth, and I'm sorry, hell is for real and it is eternal. The scriptures are clear about that. So yeah, if you, if you doubt that, please check that out as well. But anyway, I've gone way over um, on my time, but that's okay. I wanted to try and get this done in one podcast. So yes, I did skim through some things. I I really could have made this a two-part study because there really is so much to talk about in this realm. So um, all those who want to know more, uh, well, Chris, just give me a call or contact me on Facebook and we'll, we'll talk some more about this. I would love to meet with you and talk. I mean, it would just be fun to catch up. I mean, we don't have to talk about this at all, but we can, I'd love to catch up. And, and yeah, if you have more questions about this, please let me know. Um, I'm, I'm very approachable and I'm not putting my finger in anybody's face and saying you're wrong, wrong, wrong. And you know, these types of things. But yeah, if you want to know more about this guys, check out my series on Seventh Day Adventists. Check out my series on uh, the Galatians. There's six of those, quite a bit to look at there. Uh, my short little podcast on uh, Did Jesus Profane the Sabbath? And also uh, another series that I did, Must We Observe the Sabbath to be Saved? So check all those out. You can go to Sermon Audio and just type into the search box once you go to Youth Apologetics Training, that page, and then type into the search box uh, Sabbath and Galatians and uh, profane, these types of keywords, and you'll find all that you need to really get an in-depth look at this uh, particular subject. So with that, I will stop right here. Uh, Friends, thanks for listening, and I love you guys. We'll see you next week.